Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody, and I want to kick off with our memory verse. This is our memory verse throughout our At The Movies uh, series, so let me say it once, and I'm going to ask you to say it with me out loud. It's Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. Now, with that said, would you honor God's word? Would you stand with me? And let's say it out loud together, church. Say it real nice and strong. Say it. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful as we're here today to know that you're here with us. And I know in a room like this, there are people all over this room who are experiencing some level of loss in their life right now. Thank you, God, that you care about that. And I pray that from your word today, we would hear encouragement for this season. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Isaac said, we're continuing our series at the movies. Now, next week, because of Mother's Day, we will take a break from that series, and then we'll pick it up the following week. You do not want to miss next Sunday. But the reason we're going through this series at the movies is simply we realize that in these great films, there are some great truths from Scripture that are illustrated over and over. All truth is God's. And we get to just... Take these stories and leverage them to really understand how these truths impact our life today. And so today's movie is a superhero movie, and it does have a great villain in the movie. And it got me to thinking, what are some of the greatest villains of all time? I don't know about you, but I love a good villain in the story. And so who are some of the most popular all-time villains? Well, according to Rotten Tomatoes, the number five all-time favorite villain is Lex Luthor. Feel good about that one? Okay, mixed reviews. All right, here's the fourth one is Thanos. All right, feeling good about that one? Mixed reviews, all right, getting a little strong. How about Venom? All right, here's the one that's going to be really controversial. The next one is Catwoman. I didn't create this list, okay, but I think we'll agree on this one. Number one, the Joker. We feel good about that one? Good. Good, I'm glad we can get applause on that. Good. We're all in agreement. We don't like the Joker. All right, but a great villain nonetheless. Well, today's movie, as Isaac said, is Shang-Chi. Now, I don't know how many of you may have seen that movie. I'll be honest with you, as we were preparing this as a staff, we were talking about different movies. I'd never even heard of this movie. I certainly had never seen the movie, but since I have seen it, I will tell you it is PG-13. Some of you are talking about some of the great movies you want to talk to kids and grandkids and take them, keep that in mind. But here's the movie Shang-Chi is. This main character, Shang-Chi, is a young man, just to give you a little background, who's born into a broken family. This broken family has a power-hungry dad who has these superhero powers. He's been around for a thousand years. He's part of this society called the Ten Rings. And he sort of is, you know, uh, just creating destruction around the world until he meets a woman. They fall in love. They get married. They have two kids, Shang-Chi and his sister. And there is peace in the world until tragically she is murdered and killed 
And it's on the backside of that that the movie then begins its plot. And then, because of the way these three characters in the story respond to their loss, that the story gets incredibly interesting. The dad, responding to loss, becomes so angry that he wants to get revenge on those who have killed his wife. And he's even recruiting his son into his anger. And that's this first scene that I think sets up the movie pretty well. Check this out. Well, eventually, because of the dad's, like, I mean, you have pretty amazing skills, right? I mean, some of you, I've seen you fight. You could pull that off, right? <laughs> so at, at the end of the day, the dad becomes so obsessed that the son, young Shang-Chi, leaves the family because he's just overwhelmed by the anger and the blame that this dad has. And then that's when the movie begins. So here's what I want to show you from this movie, just the, kind of the outline, because this is the rest of the film. There are three different responses that they have to loss. The father is focused on blame. The daughter, Shang Ling, she will be focused on isolation. And then the son, eventually, Shang Chi comes to compassion and connection. Now here's why I think this is really important. Because I think this is how we respond to loss. We're going to talk about blame when you respond to loss and blame and isolation and eventually compassion and connection. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take our scriptures today from John chapter 11. In fact, if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and grab them. You can turn to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can find the book of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, and you can look with us at chapter 11. Because in this story, John chapter 11, there is this person who dies named Lazarus. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, go through this extreme loss, as does Jesus who's the friend of Lazarus and his loss. Here's what's fascinating. They parallel this story because we're going to see them wrestle with blame, with isolation, compassion, and connection. And we're going to bounce back and forth between these two stories, seeing that this is the way we tend to respond to loss. But now I want to ask you a question. How about you? How do you find hope when you're at a loss? How do you find hope when you're at a loss? Because let's be honest, we're all either there, we've been there, and we will be there again. Now for you, it may be the death of a loved one, it may be the death of a parent, it may be the death of a spouse. I know some of you have experienced that heavy, heavy loss in your life recently. Maybe it's the death of a friend, maybe it's a coworker, a neighbor. Maybe it's not even a death. Maybe for you, it's the end of a marriage or the end of a relationship or, or the end of a broken dream, like you thought this was going to go somewhere and you find yourself with unmet expectations. You look around your life and you think, I didn't think I would end up here. I didn't think it would end up like this. I thought my marriage would be different or that I would have one. I thought my finances would be better. I thought my retirement would look different. I thought my health would be better. I didn't think I would end up here. I didn't expect life to be like this. What do you do? How do you move forward and how do you find hope when you're at a loss. I don't know what your loss is today, but we all have that where we're just kind of hanging on because life isn't turning out like we thought. We didn't think this season in 2022 would include this thing in our life. How do we respond? I think as we look at these four responses, we're going to see ourselves in every response because they're just so normal. They're so natural. But some are hopeful 
and some are hopeless. So I want to just start with just sharing the most natural responses that are very hopeless, but I want you to say, as I say hopeless, I'm not casting judgment because these are the natural ways that we respond. But we want to be honest and say they're hopeless because they don't lead us to a place we want to be. But it's easy to get on the pathway that these two lead us down. When you experience a loss, and many here I know are in that place today, one of the most natural ways that you and I will respond is we will cast blame. We'll just blame. Don't you know how that feels? Like when something happens and you focus on an ex-boss, an ex-spouse, an ex-friend, right? And we say he or she are to blame. Like we all do that, don't we? Or we start saying things like they are to blame and we'll blame entire groups of people. We'll blame the government. We'll blame family. We'll blame work. We'll blame church. We'll blame people in our neighborhood. We'll blame people in that political party. We'll just blame they, right? This has happened since the beginning of time. You think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the book of the Bible, Genesis. We see that Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent, right? And that's been all throughout Scripture. You see the blame. In fact, if you've got kids, you know when your kids are young, they know how to blame and they learn at an early age how to point that bony finger and say it's their fault, right? It's the most natural and obvious response to loss is to blame. And I want you to see in this movie, as the dad, in his anger, he is consumed with blame. Check this out. Don't you just look at that little boy, you just feel for him, don't you? As the dad is seeking revenge, as he's blaming, and the little boy in his innocence is just brought right into what we all feel in our own hearts, a desire for revenge, a desire to blame. And we're going to jump to our story in John chapter 11 where we see these sisters who are mourning and Jesus shows up as Lazarus has died. And this is going to be the last public miracle that Jesus ever performs and it's going to be the resurrecting of Lazarus later in the chapter. But Mary and Martha, the sisters, have no idea that's about to happen. They're just grieving. They've just experienced loss. And I want you to see how they respond when Jesus shows up Look with me if you're in John chapter 11, down at verse 21, and watch this amazing response by Martha. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here. You just see that she's, I envision her pointing at Jesus. Would you say those five words out loud with me? Say that with me. If you had been here. Isn't that how you feel sometimes? Don't you feel that way? Like God, you could have. If you would have only behaved the way I thought you would behave. If you had been here, she says, my brother would not have died. It's not just Martha. Look at Mary down at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, say it with me. If you had been here, she's blaming him. If you had done what I thought you would do, you're, you know, we're, we're outside of your power, she thinks now. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then the crowd, later in verse 37, but some of them who were there, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? You're not behaving the way we thought you would behave, God. Jesus, you're not doing what we thought you would do. It's the temptation of all of us to start when we experience loss by blaming. So let me ask you a real personal question. Are you currently blaming someone for a loss in this season of your life? Is there someone where you're saying she, he, they, 
God, that you just find yourself pointing your bony finger saying, if you had been here, if you had behaved the way I think you should have, if that's you, that's a very normal response. But what we know is it never leads where we want to go. And so the question is, is that the road we want to stay on? But it's not the only hopeless response. Another very natural response after we blame is to then isolate. It's to kind of relationally guard ourselves from people. After all, people hurt us, so it's very natural to want to hide when we're hurt, right? It seems like a kind of a logical thing to do is to hide from people who have hurt us or from people in general. The problem is we are then unable to heal and move forward. It's, I think one of the great paradoxes in humanity is God has created us to be hurt by people but to be healed by people. And it's in between where we are tempted to isolate. The sister in this movie um, is, is the one who decides she's going to have that tough exterior that says, I don't need anybody. And we know people like that. Maybe you feel like that. I don't need anybody. And inside you're dying. Watch this scene where the sister decides to isolate in her response to loss. Check this out. Whew, I didn't need you then and I don't need you now. This is the anthem of the hurting. To say I don't need anybody and I'm just going to isolate. We see that in John chapter 11, believe it or not, when Mary and Martha, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, Martha comes out. Look, look in fact, at verse 20. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now, we don't know that it was because she was isolating from people, but clearly she wasn't ready to embrace Jesus yet. She was grieving and she was choosing not to go out initially to be with him. And we see this from the very beginning in, 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 the, in, the, in the scriptures when, when Adam and Eve immediately began to hide. And Jesus, God had to go and look for them. And we see it all through. This is a tendency that we have that when we're hurting, we want to isolate from other people. Let me just ask you a really personal question. Are you currently hiding as a result of a loss in your life? Maybe you're here because you don't feel like anybody's going to get up in your business and you feel like, hey, I can just kind of hide, I can leave. What about in a small group or in a life group or in a friendship? Are you being transparent even if it feels scary? Or are you hiding behind that tough veneer that says, I don't need people? Because when we experience loss, we tend to blame or we isolate, but it never leads where we want to go. So what should we do? What does Jesus invite us to do? That's what's in the next part of the story. Jesus invites us to a better way, and it begins with a more hopeful response to loss, and that is through compassion. Compassion. In this great next scene, Shang-Chi is, is, is beginning to realize that, and he goes back to his dad who's wanting to focus on blame, and he appeals to compassion in this next scene. Check it out. A dad who's hurting is being told by his son, your family needs you. Now, isn't this the hardest thing when you're hurting? Because your eyes are on your hurt to realize that someone else is hurting too. See, here's what I know in a room like this. There are a lot of us who are hurting today. 
And I want you to know that God sees you and he is with you and there are people in this room who want to support you. But I also want you to know there are other people in this room who are going through the greatest hurt of their lifetime too. And one of the greatest perspectives that we can realize is that we move forward when we're hurting by taking our eyes off of us for a little bit to encourage someone else who is hurting. The perspective of compassion, even when we're hurting, is one of the ways forward. And so many of you are so incredibly generous in this way. See, Mary and Martha, when we're in this place of Genesis, or in, in John chapter 11, when, when Jesus is the one that's hurting and he shows up because after all, he's lost a friend too, Jesus shows us a way forward. Look what he says down in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. He's feeling the compassion. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. Jesus, the shortest verse in all the Bible, is his compassion. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He's hurting, but he takes his eyes off of himself and he sees someone else's hurt too. And he begins to have compassion for other people who are around who are also hurting. Let me ask you a real personal question. Are you currently encouraging someone else who has experienced a loss. Because here's what we know. Everyone you know has something in their life that's causing hurt. And the easiest thing, if you're like me, is to focus on mine. And to ask them to focus on mine. And that's appropriate in some seasons. But this is the compassion that helps us move forward and to actually heal. One more response, and this is important. In fact, I think this is the critical one is connection. In order for you to move forward, in order for me to move forward when I experience loss, it must include compassion, but it must include connection. At the end of this film with Shang-Chi, there's this great scene where there's a wise aunt who is speaking to him and is reminding him of this truth. Don't hide, don't hide, don't isolate. You must embrace the courage of connection. Watch this last scene, check it out. Oh, I love that line. You are children of this family, and I welcome you home. Did you catch that line? Hiding prolongs the pain. Now, if that isn't a scriptural truth, that's exactly true. Connection is what I need, and it's probably what I'm most afraid of when I'm experiencing loss and hurt. And yet that is what we desperately need in order to be healed and to move forward. It's in uh, verse 7 and 8 where Jesus decides he's going back. He doesn't care. He's just heard that Lazarus has died. And look at verse 7 and 8. And then Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, these are the disciples to Jesus, a short while ago, the Jews there were trying to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? And he says, yes. You know why? Because connection is critical in the place of loss. And here the disciples are reminding him how expensive it is, how costly it is. And the truth is, in our lives, connection is costly too. Let's be honest, in order to get to that group when you're in that place of loss, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you some awkwardness. It might even cost you some messiness, some energy. But this is how we heal. 
This is how we move forward, by being encouraged and by offering encouragement to others. Look down at verse 19. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It's how we're comforted, through connection. And then finally at verse 31. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house were comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When she was hurting and when she was going to the tomb, the people who knew her best decided she was not going to do it alone. And Isn't that a beautiful picture of connection? That when you're hurting the most, the people closest to you will choose to not let you go through it alone. Now let me ask you a real personal question. With whom are you embracing connection during this season of your loss? Now, Jesus wraps up the whole thing In verse 23, we're going to look at it in a second because we kind of come back to our original question. How do you find hope when you're at a loss? And Jesus is going to reveal the ultimate source of hope that Hollywood can't give us, that that our culture can't give us, that our own past can't give us, our own strength can't manipulate it. When you're at a loss and you've lost the thing that you didn't want to lose, you didn't think you could afford to lose, you didn't ever want to be here, how do you move forward? How do you find hope? Jesus speaks up in this moment. In verse 23, he says to Mary, he says, or to Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. She goes, yeah, I know, Jesus, you're supposed to say that. He'll rise again at the last day. I know that's a future down the road. It's sort of like when we go to people, we say, hey, well, you'll see him again in heaven, right? And we all go, I know, I know. And then Jesus says to her, I just love this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Would you just read that out loud with me? Just Just that one sentence, say that with me. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus steps into this moment with Martha and Mary and he is saying, yeah, but I am here with you right now. Think about who's saying that. Jesus, who is acquainted with sorrows, who is the suffering servant, who is familiar with pain, Jesus who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, who says he will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus steps into that moment and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And here's what I think is important for Martha and Mary and for us. What happens in loss, I believe, is we are confronted with the reality that we live in a broken world that is temporary. And we sometimes find hope and satisfaction in things that do not last. And it is in that loss that our eternal Savior steps in once again. And he is near the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit in a closer way. And we once again have an opportunity to open our hands and our arms and embrace the only one who satisfies. The longing that all of us ultimately have is in this Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. And it's in our loss where we once again look at him face to face and we find satisfaction. It's not about a future day. It's about him right here, right now. And I believe some of us, he's inviting to once again find hope in him again. You see, what do you do? 
How do you find hope? When you're at a loss, well, our only source of hope in loss is Jesus. He's the only one who's eternal. Everything else is a temporary fix. He is the eternal solution to once again find Jesus. In fact, I would go further to say that in loss, here's our bottom line. Jesus is not only our only hope, but it's through his people that we experience a glimpse of him. It's through his people, through connection and compassion, that we get just a glimpse. Why is it so satisfying when we experience that? Because it's just a glimpse of this Jesus who loves you so much. So now I want you to hear a personal story, how this lives out in our life here in 2022. And so I want to ask uh, our Connection and Care Pastor, Sean Crane, to come and just share a little bit of her own story and her own life in responding to loss. Thank you, Sean. There's an earlier scene in Shang-Chi, and the family is sitting around the table, and they're talking about a grandfather that had died. And the younger kids are telling the grandma, well, he would want you to enjoy your life and move on. And the daughter comes in and says, moving on is an American idea. And that really struck me. I think our society, our culture, we do have a habit of kind of praising and celebrating, putting on a brave face, keeping your tears to a minimum and getting back to life as normal. But I just, I've thought about that quite a bit. And even in my own life, I really had to wrestle with the tendency I think that most of us probably have is to not grieve well. And I myself, I kind of pride myself on being very independent and self-sufficient and I don't need to ask for help. I think it's being the firstborn, maybe some of you guys can relate to that. But in 2016, after a three-year battle with breast cancer, my mom died. And I felt very alone and very vulnerable. And my response, just like the sister, was isolation. To withdraw, keep to myself, um, wasn't completely possible, right? Like I'm still a mom, I'm still a wife, I still have a job. Um, but I feel like I kind of just kept showing up in autopilot, you know, kind of like rote memory. These are the tasks I have to do every day. My grief kind of just settled, I don't, like a blanket maybe, or a veil, I don't know how to explain that, but kind of seeing the world was blurry or maybe um, muffled, you know, just gray. And I wanted to be alone. But my friends and my family, they knew that is not what I needed. We had community because of our small group, people that we did life with um, that just came in with compassion. They showed up for me in ways that I'll forever be grateful. They came and got my daughter <clears throat> and took her to get something to wear to the funeral. They brought snacks, uh, they brought paper goods for what seemed like an endless line of well-wishing visitors. But most importantly, they just came and sat. They let me laugh, cry, be silent. And when I think back to that time, those weeks, even months, I don't really remember what they said. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves sometimes when someone's hurting, we see them in pain, we're like, I need to say just the right thing. But I didn't need to hear the right thing, I just needed them there. 
and I accepted Christ. Um, when I was a child, very young, um, my earliest memories are in church, but my relationship with Jesus Christ didn't mean that I got to miss out on pain or escape a loss. It just meant that when that came, I knew how to survive. And it was the people in my life and community that showed up for me that reminded me life here on this earth isn't the end. The promise and hope of eternal life is real. We're going to experience that. And there's pain. There's sorrow here. But on the other side of eternity, we're promised a life with no pain, no sorrow, no tears. And the reason I have that hope is because of the truth of God's word, but that compassion and connection showed up for me through the friends and family in my life. It can show up for you as well. I read a quote this week from Liz Bohannon, and she said, true community is made up of hope dealers, reminding each other that no matter how dark the night, morning is coming. Sean. Hope dealers. I love that. So how do you find hope when you're at a loss? I think what Sean just described is what we see from this story is Jesus is our only hope and it's through his people, through you, through us, that we experience a glimpse of him. So I want to close by asking you to identify which of these three categories do you find yourself in today? Because you don't get to escape this life without pain, neither do I. Without loss, neither do I. So knowing that, maybe you're there today. I want to ask you, which of these categories are you in? First, there's a category of saying, look, I don't know Jesus, and I need hope. It might be why you're here today. You may think it's because somebody invited you to come sit with them today, and I'm glad that you're here. But the reality is, you may be going through something difficulty, and Jesus is inviting you today to find the only source of hope in him. Or maybe you would say, I know Jesus and I need hope. I, I know I'm just like Sean said, you don't get to escape pain or loss because we know Jesus. He certainly didn't, did he? Or you may be in the third category and you might say, I know Jesus and I'm ready to give others hope. I, I want to be one of those hope dealers. I just want to talk to those of you in the first category. I don't know Jesus and I need hope. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond right here, right now, to this Jesus who invites you. He is, a, he is a person who is acquainted with your suffering. He knows your pain. And I believe he welcomes you with open arms to find the only source of hope. And this may be the, one of the opportunities in this season to make the greatest decision of your life. If that's you, would everyone here in this room, for just a couple of minutes, just close your eyes and maybe lower your heads and give us a moment of privacy. And I just want to ask you, if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just pray this prayer after me today? Would you pray this prayer? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, today I know that I'm at a place where I need hope. And I know Jesus went to the cross for me. And then he rose again on the third day. Somehow he turned a cross into an empty grave. And I want to give my life to him. For the rest of my life, I want to serve him and surrender to him today. 
Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.